On the Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another, what they might do to Jesus. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when they came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named Apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Tian Chai, for reading God's word for us this morning. As uh, most of you know, we are continuing in our theme, Radical Dependence, as we walk through the book of Luke and Almost every Sunday, we'll try to point out some unique themes that are actually unique to the book of Luke. Um, so I will do that again uh, this morning. Uh, but, but first, I, I'm just overwhelmed. You know, you know, sometimes when you're in the middle of things, you, you see stuff that people, not everyone sees. And so I, I'm just overwhelmed by God's grace that even in this time of global and national anxiety when many of our friends and members are watching this service online. I'm amazed that you are still coming. In fact, I'm amazed that even during this time we're having visitors come and that many of them are sensing that, that God in grace has found a home for their heart and they're requesting membership. And so we meet with everyone who's requesting a membership, and I, I'm not sure how it goes with the other elders, but I think we kind of practice the same thing. We, we want newcomers to get to know some of the leaders so the pastors don't do all the elder chats. Um, it's kind of mixed around with the other elders, and, and I want them to get to know us too. It's not a, a chat to see if they qualify, to see if they're you know, good enough to join Grace Baptist Church. It's because we want to know them better so that we can shepherd them well, and so one of the things I will always ask in the, in the beginning of the chat is, so share with me um, like what you'd like to do in your downtime. And there's always an awkward pause because if they're young, they're trying to figure out, what does he mean by downtime? <laughs> is, is, is that a thing? 
you know, downtime, and so uh, I have to say it in another way. Well, you know, what, what are your hobbies? What, what, do you, what would you do if, even if no one was paying you? And, and you know the number one answer? Sleep. <laughs> You're right, because life is so intense. You know, here, here's the one thing. If I could have a perfect day, I would spend the whole day sleeping. And so having said that, and, you know, there's the title of the message, I get that the best way to approach this message, the easiest way, is to tell you what you really want to hear, and that is this. God wants you to take a nap. You know, just relax. Take a load off. You know, stop fighting so hard. Stop, you know, all your hard work. Um, that's what you would like me to say. That's what I would like to say. But here's what God, God's Word is going to do with us today. I want you to think about another passage of Scripture, Ezekiel 47. If you have a Bible or a phone app, you may want to turn to it. This amazing passage, it has application because I want to know why Luke is arranging his story the way he is. The same gospel story, but why is he specifically arranging his story of this good news of Jesus Christ the way he has arranged it in Ezekiel chapter 47, this Amazing picture of a God having taken hold of his man Ezekiel and bringing him to the very threshold of the temple. And as Ezekiel looks down, he sees trickling from underneath the threshold this spring of water just bubbling up. And God guides him and he follows the stream as it goes into the temple and through the temple. And as that trickle stream of water passes by the altar of sacrifice and moves toward the, ent the entrance of the eastern gate, which faces the wilderness. It faces the Dead Sea, the sea that is the lowest place on the planet and also is so salty, no life exists in it. That little stream begins to trickle from underneath the great eastern gate and flow to the southeast toward the Dead Sea. And then the Lord says, step in it. And, and Ezekiel finds himself walking in that stream. And every 500 meters he walks, it gets a bit deeper and a, and a bit wider until it gets up to his ankles and then up to his knees, up to his hips, up to his neck until he, he feels like he can barely pass it all. And then the Lord pulls him out of this, the river and he finds himself now looking at the banks and life is everywhere. Everywhere this fresh living water flows, animals come to life, seeds sprout, trees become fruitful. Verse 12, he says, and on the banks, both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, their leaves for healing. And then he notices as the fresh living water springing out from the temple reaches the Dead Sea, all of the salt water turns fresh. And suddenly every swarming animal comes alive. And the, the sea is full of fish. And then the Lord says this, fishermen will come and cast their nets wide. How fascinating. 
As, as we open up chapter 5 and 6, in chapter 5, Jesus meets an unproductive fisherman and says, cast your nets into the deep, and he is productive. How fascinating that he then that touches a leper who is contagious and makes him clean. He meets a paralyzed man and brings him healing. He finds a profane tax collector and makes him holy. And how many of you remember this profound thing that Pastor Eugene said? It's, it's been with me all week. In Jesus, leprosy is not contagious. Holiness is. Life is contagious. He is the embodiment of this great living water flowing, bringing healing and life to everything it touches. And I recall when I was a young boy, almost a teenager, we used to sing about this river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, lets the captives free. There's a river of life flowing out of me. This river of life encountering sickness, lameness, death, disease. And then at the end of Pastor Eugene's sermon, this odd biblical segue with Jesus suddenly talking about new wine and old wineskins and the wineskins bursting. Why? Because this great river of life is getting ready to hit the shores of the dead sea of religion. And everything's getting ready to blow. And so we come to verse 1 of chapter 6. And some of you like an outline. I'm, I know I've heard it. You're the only pastor who doesn't give an outline. I give an outline, but only to Pauline. And for those of you who want it, here it is. One, on a holy day. Two, there is holy work. Three, for a holy people. Beginning in verse 1 and 5, or 1 through 5, we can read this. On a Sabbath, that is the seventh day of the Jewish week, that is not Sunday, that is Saturday, on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, how would the Pharisees be there? They're tracking him. They're following this river of life, seeing if they can catch him in some flaw. So they saw him, and they said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So just to be clear, they're not accusing Jesus' disciples of stealing. In fact, the law specifically says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, if you go through your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's grain. In other words, you can't harvest it. And so there's no problems plucking some ears of grain. There, there's no problem eating it. But when you rub it in your hands, when you separate husk from nugget of grain, that is threshing. And threshing is working, and that's violating the fourth commandment. And they were waiting for that. They found it, and they said, why are you 
breaking the law. Threshing violates the fourth commandment. Now, I don't know if this is a good time for me to mention, I'm not really a fan of Tim Keller's. I, I know some of you are giving me that old shock face, but I, I, I'm not a fan, and it's kind of a personal thing to me because as, as many of you know, every morning Sherry and I go out early and we walk, talk, run. That's, you know, most people walk, run, but we walk, talk, run, and, and what that means is while we're walking, I begin to share all of my deep convictions on what I, whatever topic drives me that morning, and then Sherry will tell me what Tim Keller thinks about that. <laughs> and then I will say, let's run, because when we're running, Tim Keller doesn't have enough breath to tell me <laughs> what, what he, he thinks about this. And so, you, can you tell I'm kind of unleashed? She's in the nursery. <laughs> so... So a few months ago, um, Sherry decided that she would start the talk before I'd even properly stretched out. So I can't run right away when, when I just am still a bit, you know, cold from, uh, from the early morning. And so she began to address the issue of my failure or my challenge or my difficulty with taking a Sabbath because I was raised by immigrant parents. They were Christian, um, but... <laughs> For immigrants, salvation is through hard work, right? And it's, it's hard to shake that. And, and so, you know, taking a day off, like I can't help but hear my father's whisper, you've always been hopeless. Why do you want to be so lazy? So Sherry said, you know what Tim Keller says? Yeah, he's so anxious about me not being a fan, he's lost all his hair. <laughs> Tim Keller says, a good Sabbath is when you put down all the ordinary things you do in a normal day and then do something really different. I love Tim Keller. That's the most awesome thing I've ever heard about Sabbath. In fact, it is so awesome, I want to platform his article, Six Ways to practice Sabbath. You can either take a photo or just Google it. Um, Google it later. Okay, you're Googling it now. Yeah. Um, it, it's a wonderful way to look at it because this is it. Let's, let's go back to remember the Sabbath day. That word Sabbath means lay it down. Tim Keller says, put down whatever you ordinarily do. And, and in early days, the Hebrews were an agrarian culture. Lay it down. Lay, lay down your plow. Lay down your axe. Lay down your iPhone. Oh, okay, I know. Whatever you ordinarily do, all, all those things you do, notice, do all your work in the six days of life and breath and energy the Lord has given you. But the seventh day of the laying down is laying down to the Lord your God. To His stuff, His work. Dedicate yourself. Do this for the Lord your God and keep it holy. That means set apart. Holy means sanctified, pure. It's meant for royalty or the divine. On this day, 
Dedicate all that you do to him. And it's interesting, Jesus' response after being accused of breaking the law. Now, I, I probably would have got a bit defensive and said, no, we're not. Which law? Jesus didn't try to destroy their law. He just interpreted it through their history and so took them to their history. 1 Samuel chapter 21 have you not read what David did when he was hungry? In fact, let me just take you to 1 Samuel 21, because this is a, a fascinating story. David comes to the tabernacle of the Lord, and the priest meets him there. Ahimelech, in Hebrew, is trembling when he sees battle-weary David standing there by himself in all his fighting garb. And he says, what do you want and why are you by yourself? David says, I'm on a special miss mission from the Lord. And of course, the holy high priest knows what battle-hardened men are like. He says, no, your men have been with women. They're not pure. They can't take any bread because I don't have any common bread here. I only have holy bread and only holy men can eat holy bread, meaning that's my bread. And David's comment is fascinating. My men have been with no women. They keep themselves, what, set apart for a specific purpose, and especially on this day, because our purpose has royal implications. On this day, they are much more holy than on any day. And Ahimelech said, the bread is yours. Have you heard this? Men are made holy by assignment. It's not because they were holy. It's because they were on a holy task for a holy person. They had been set apart by God. And so they took the holy bread and then the holy one, Jesus, dropped a truth bomb on these Pharisees. And then he said to them, the Son of Man, remember this is Luke's term for the Messiah, the Christ, the Holy One of Israel. The Son of Man is King of your holy day. He is Lord of this day. I am the Lord of this Sabbath. And so we go to holy work. In chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, on a holy day, we are to do holy work, God's work. And verses 6 and 7 says this, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So this great river of life is filling the wineskin of the religious infrastructure Jesus flowing into the synagogue, and he's teaching. And as he was teaching, he notices there is a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him. Why? So that they could learn something? No. So that they might find reason to accuse him. Now, the troubling thing, if you're a Pharisee accusing Jesus, is you're thinking things that he can hear. It's always really awkward when you're having an argument with somebody who knows what you're going to say. 
And Jesus said to them, this is verse 9, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or destroy it? Every single Sabbath, broken people coming for healing and getting more broken. Hopeless people coming for hope and life and leaving the synagogue the same way they arrived. That should not be so with us because the river of life flows in and through us. And on this holy day, Jesus reminded them that holy days are meant for holy work. Everything that's good and pure and noble and worthy and of good repute. This is the work of God. And so he looked then at the man, knowing what the Pharisees were waiting for and offered it to them. Now here again is a major theme of Luke. Because I hear so much about faith in contemporary Christianity, especially on contemporary Christian TV. If you just had more faith, if you just had faith, Jesus looked at the man and did not say, do you believe in me? He looked at the man and said, come and stand here. And the man did. And then Jesus said, stretch out your hand. Nothing in that man's history, nothing in his background, nothing in his experience had taught him that he could stretch out a withered hand. Only the command of the Lord of the Sabbath gave him the ability to turn away from everything he knew and turn toward his command. I'm saying Luke's theme is this, obey, because obedience is the food that feeds your faith. This man obeyed not once but twice. He stood in front of the entire synagogue. Who wants to be noticed? Are they going to mock me for, for my withered hand? Are they going to point out that I'm not completely clean and shouldn't be in this place where holy people learn holy stuff? congratulate themselves for not being unholy like other people? Am I going to put, be put on display? Yes, for God's glory and for His good. In Mark's gospel, this very same story, but an added statement that Jesus reminds the Pharisees, for the Sabbath was made for man, for man's good, not man for the Sabbath. Not because there's anything we can do to make the Sabbath holy. It's made for our good. It's made for God's glory. And so on that day, God's glory was obvious in that synagogue. But how did those Pharisees respond? Stretch out your hand. And he did so. His hand was restored but they were filled with fury. Those wineskins filled to bursting and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Jesus heard that. 
just as he heard their accusations, and it changed nothing about his trajectory. Why? Because the river of life was getting ready to flow past the altar of sacrifice. Holy days, holy people, meet to do holy things. This last section also made me wonder, why, why put this here? What was Luke trying to communicate to his original readers? How did the original hearers play this in their hearts? Verse 12 begins in this way, in these days. What, what days specifically? In those days when old wineskins were full of fury, in those days of growing opposition, of hostility, Luke wants us to see that Jesus does not react like this pastor. Because in days of growing hostility, I seek comfort in sympathetic friends. In, in days of growing hostility, I seek to build a coalition of support to change the culture. In days of growing hostility, I lay awake at two in the morning anxious about things I cannot change. But in those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. This again is a theme of Luke's gospel. This is how Jesus resourced his ministry. Not through strategy meetings, not through team leadership retreat. He resourced his ministry. He resourced his life with an intimate love relationship with the Father. In fact, Scripture says, all night he continued in prayer to God. If you're waking up in the middle of the night with anxiety, at least talk to God about it. Oh, I, I know. Why, why pray when you can be anxious all the time? It's an option. This was Christ's option. He resourced the strength of his heart came from prayer. And with this in mind, let me invite you to mark your calendars, July 17 and 18. We're not canceling. We're going to have a prayer encounter at GBC on Friday night. We're inviting all of the family of churches that, that we're a part of to join us. Our CG leaders are going to come and learn how to use prayer as pastoral care. On Saturday, we're going to practice resourcing our lives, our nation, and our ministry through a prayer encounter with the Lord and each other. At the end of that time, Jesus had a prayer plan that he got not from his friends and colleagues, but that he got from his Father. And this is fascinating. He continued all night in prayer, and when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 to be apostles. When we think disciples, we typically think of apostles. There were 12. There were hundreds. 
perhaps thousands of disciples of Jesus at this time. But after all night praying, after an intimate conversation with his father, he woke up, called hundreds, perhaps thousands together, and from them called 12, and I'm just going to say it, he didn't call the best. Really, I mean, if you'd asked me, I would have recommended, you know, maybe somebody with some education. But please don't pick a tax collector. I know you just got all excited. You had a party at his house. But he's a co-conspirator with the occupation. And, and why would you want him? In fact, why would you call that other guy? He, he's the Bernie Sanders of Jews. He's, you know, oh, sorry, did I just say that? It's not in my notes. It just came up. I mean, he's a, he's a political extremist. You know, he, he's, he's advocating... A, violent overthrow of the Romans that'll get us all ruined. And at least, you know, at least choose some guys who know how to write their name. Like one day, God might ask Peter to write a book or two or three, and then he'll have to sign with an X. So these men were not the awesomest bunch. And, and some of you, okay, I'm going to say it this way, every one of you, are far beyond what any of them could have hoped or dreamed for. You know more of God's Word. You have a better education. You're multilingual. They couldn't even write a written language. You can probably write more than one. They were made holy, not because they came with great DNA. They were set apart, not because they came from great families. They were made holy, not because they had influence. They were given influence by the assignment. That word, apostle, means one who is sent. And I, I, I know people get into the argument, that's a big A apostle. Are there big A apostles or little A apostles? I'm, I'm, I don't want to get into that. All I'm saying is Jesus took from among the thousands and appointed 12 to be sent. And this is how the secular Jew would have heard the word apostle, ambassador. Because in secular Greek, apostolos was sent by a royal or a governor, a Caesar or a king, to represent the king in another culture, in another place, among another people. He was to represent the will and the words of that king, and there were 12 chosen. Everyone, here, everyone holy. 12 were holy. 11 to be ambassadors for the king of kings, the Lord of the Sabbath, the living water, and one set apart. To be a son of destruction so that Scripture could be fulfilled in Christ at the altar of sacrifice. We come to a time of reflection. But as we think about this, I want to bring you back to Pastor Eugene's message. Because that one word sets apart those who follow Christ from those who are in bondage to the law. You know, when I uh, 
went back to Canada, I experienced the immigration in San Francisco, and it was a nightmare. And, and then I experienced immigration in Vancouver, and I was like, ah, I can stand in the Canadian line, and it was a nightmare. And, and then I came back, and all, by, all the way on the plane, I was suffering from this deep Canadian cold. I was miserable. I was wearing a mask, blowing my nose, sneezing, apologizing to everybody on the plane. I arrived in Singapore, experienced Singapore immigration, and it was glorious. Efficient, smooth, took literally about two and a half minutes. I landed in Singapore and I was happy, but I was not healed. You, you see, the Pharisees were like an awesome nation with no COVID cure. And when you have no cure, the best you can have is social distancing. Warning people of being in close proximity because this is the sanctuary of the Lord that we fragile holy ones run into fearful that we might be stained by the sin of everybody else out there. They, they are no different than a nation that closes their borders to the to those who most need the joy. That's the best we can do. I'm not judging. Protect. Be cautious. But in Jesus, leprosy is not contagious. In Jesus, paralysis is not permanent. In Jesus, death is is not the full stop in that sentence. In Jesus, healing is contagious. In Jesus, holiness is contagious. In Christ, life is contagious. And so we come to our reflection question. That's not the question I really want to ask. In what specific ways do I need to more consistently seek rest in Christ? You, friend, are not the river. He is. So the better question is, am I willing today to surrender to Him Lordship of my rest. Am I willing for him, the God of creation, the river of life, to be Lord of my rest, to be Lord of my retirement, to be Lord of my holidays? Most of us are not Americans. We don't take vacations. We take holidays. That word is holy days. Would I say, like 12 of our members in a couple of weeks say, I'm going to take my holiday for Christ 
and the nations in Pois? Would I take my holy day for the nations broken without hope in Cambodia? Would I take my holiday for the sake of the gospel doing holy work among a holy people in Indonesia? I want to invite you to bow your heads with me as we prepare to come near to the altar of sacrifice. As we today prepare to remember how Christ on that holy day bore the wrath of God. Proclaimed, it is finished. And then the curtain of the temple was torn in two and the river flowed. As you remember the sacrifice that he made for you, would you be willing to allow the Lord to be king of your rest? Would you allow him to be Lord of your retirement? Some of you, honestly, you've retired too soon. There is holy work among a holy people yet to be done. And would you even allow the Lord to be king of your holidays?